Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. 
That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. In this episode of The Unmistakable Creative, Dan Martell talks about his journey from ending up in jail for drug-related charges to starting and investing in multiple successful companies and all about the inner game of entrepreneurship. Now, let's get to the show. Dan, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Srini, thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you. You know, we had you here back when we were called Blogcast FM. And uh, this time, you know, what I wanted to do is actually do a much deeper dive into your personal story and everything that you've been up to. Because, you know, last time we, we pretty much talked about clarity, which is what most people in our audience knew you for. But I really want to go really, really far back and, and talk about your entire story and journey. So for the people in our audience who there are tons of new ones since it was three years ago when you were last year, uh, who may or may not know who you are. Can you tell us a bit about yourself, your story, story, your journey, your background, and how that has led you to everything that you're up to now? Yeah, I guess the quick version of it is, uh, you know, growing up as a teenager, maybe maybe not everybody can resonate this, but I, I just had a really challenging environment. You know, when I was uh, 11 years old, I got taken out of my home, put into foster care, bounced between group homes and foster homes, ended up getting into drugs when I was 13, spent time with people twice my age. And uh, by the time I was 17, I uh, ended up in jail twice. And really the moment that um, changed it all for me was uh, was this uh, essentially a high-speed chase I got into, ended up crashing into a house, had my uh, the car surrounded by cops, and I had a gun with me. And I told myself I didn't want to go back to jail. And uh, when I went to reach for the gun, I got stuck. And 30 seconds after smashing into that uh, house, the door opened, the cops pulled me out, my feet didn't even touch the ground. And I woke up sober the next morning in this jail cell. And I just, there was a commitment. There was just this moment where I made a commitment to myself that things were going to change. And uh, I worked my ass off from that point, 17 years old, ended up going, spending six months uh, for those crimes, get released to rehab. Spent 11 months in rehab, and it was there where I discovered this yellow book on Java programming, which is a programming language, and change and truly saved my life. Um, you know, that's how I got into technology. I've since, you know, graduating from there, rebuilt relationships with my family and my friends and, and really regained all their trust. Um, and uh, since that moment, have built five technology companies. The last three were acquired. The last two were venture-backed. Um, the one that most people know me for most recently was called Clarity.fm, which was a, an expert network for entrepreneurs to get uh, advice over the phone. Um, I've also invested in 30-plus other technology entrepreneurs uh, around the world. And uh, today I get to speak. I've spoken across seven countries, um, tens of thousands of entrepreneurs at this point. And, um, and now I do a, a weekly YouTube video show. So 
that's that's what I'm 35 now, so that's 20 some, you know, it's 18 years of my life in about three minutes. So <laughs> cool. Well, I, I want to dig back into all of it. Um, you, you mentioned that you you come from this really really rough environment, and I'm interested. You know, prior to all of that, uh, were there formative experiences when you were younger that would ultimately lead you down this trajectory of, of you know crime and drugs and all the things that put you in that position, like you know parents and you know uh, role models and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, the one challenge I had was when I was seven, I was diagnosed with ADHD and, um, you know, not really knowing anything as a kid, what that meant pretty much told me that I was broken and I would get, you know, into these, these fits. I got really angry. I don't know I was angry as a kid. You know, my dad was in sales, so he he wasn't at home very much. He was always traveling. And my mom, unfortunately is an alcoholic and, and she, you know, she really didn't know how to to raise kids. I grew up in a family of four, you know, three other, I got two other brothers and a sister. So, you know, we were a pretty big family and, uh, it was easy for us to kind of, you know, go do our own thing and, and get into trouble. So, you know, I think it was really just that, that overreactive imagination and hyperactivity that, you know, unfortunately didn't have a positive outlet. I mean, I still remember like years later, my dad saying like, if you could only find something you're passionate about that isn't illegal, you'll be so powerful. And I was just like, yeah, that would be cool. You know, like really not loving kind of where I end up every time. But, you know, I would just say it was just that creativity and energy and not having a um, kind of a supportive outlet for it or, or really any role models. I mean, I was the oldest of the boys and didn't have a big brother. And, you know, later on in my teen years, when I met these older guys that to me felt like they had their life together and were super successful, um, you know, I latched onto that and, and obviously they weren't the right role models for me. Hmm. This sort of narrative of brokenness, you know, it's interesting because we, we actually did an entire episode on dealing with an internal narrative of brokenness. I'm really interested in, you know, especially for you having experienced such a drastic identity shift in your life. How do you start to change that in your life? Because I think to some degree, all of us have that and it doesn't even leave us as adults. Yeah, it's, it, you know, it's one of those things where I feel fortunate that, you know, at 17, I, I went to this really beautiful place called Portage, and it was a rehab center in the middle of the in the woods. And uh, it was created really around understanding your story, your internal self esteem, your emotions, what made you tick, right? Like, it's kind of funny, because I didn't realize what I do today, which is, you know, predominantly storytelling and teaching and, and really training other people. I got I got exposed to that at su- such a young age. And that's really where the narrative around my self-worth and my abilities and uh, what could my life look like if I went down a different path started to take shape. And it was all because of this place in the program uh, there. I mean, one of the key tenets of, of this place was that um, all, the, the, all the staff there were ex-drug addicts, right? So mm-hmm. you know, if anybody's ever been uh, in therapy, and I, and I had pretty much been in therapy since I was like 11, 12, 13, my whole life really um, – you're sitting in front of this this person that that has a degree, read the books, but they're saying they understand, but you're like, you don't understand. And when you go from that to you know being surrounded with 35, 40 other kids that are on the same journey, plus the staff or ex-drug addicts that really only got clean later on in life, and, and they're saying to you, like, if you don't smarten up, you're going to go through what I went through, and their stories are by all means on another level than what I had been through at that point in my life. Um, you, you really listen. So I just feel lucky that, and then, and, and also that wasn't the first time that I'd been to a, you know, a 21 day program or AA. Like, I mean, I'd been dealing with that since I was 13, 14. So, um, 
I just feel lucky that I get I got introduced to this place, and this place exists in the world. There's many parts of the world that don't have a therapeutic community structure for for teenagers that are dealing with with substance abuse. Why do you think, as a society, um, we largely avoid dealing with this problem? Like, this is not a part of how we educate our kids at mm-hmm. all. And yet, as I've talked to you know hundreds of people from every walk of life imaginable navigating the emotional journey of adulthood seems to be one of the lessons that I keep getting. And yet it's not something we're prepared for at all in our childhood. Well, we don't get taught. I mean, it just the simple idea of, of, of happiness. Like every parent, if you ask them, what do you want for your kids? Well, I just want them to be happy. But from my recollection, I don't remember ever talking about the subject of happiness and emotions and, um, the mental game or the mindset or the growth approach or any of that stuff. As a, as a teenager and truly even as an adult, unless you go down that path, if you decide that, you know what, this, this world that's been kind of laid out for me just doesn't feel complete. And I think there's a, a, a more um, a colorful outlook on life. And I'm going to go try to discover that. And you go down this path of personal development or, 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 you know, forcing function. For me, it was entrepreneurship, creating businesses. That was, you know, as an artist, my canvas was starting and building companies. And I think that, those are just not things that are taught to kids as an option, as an outlet, how to do that. And, and I know personally that's changed. I have two little boys. They're three and two years old now. And um, it's very much part of our conversation with them. Um, but, you know, growing up, you know, it's people sometimes blame the generations. Like maybe your parents didn't know how to love you or it wasn't normal to hug you or it wasn't a thing to – to uh, tell your kids how proud they were of you or whatever it was, whatever emotional wound I, I you know, you got conflicted uh, upon. It, it just feels like um, it's, it's more than just that generation. It's a cultural thing. And, and uh, again, I feel super lucky that I got sent down this path at 17, even though leading up to it, you know, it almost took my life. Um, it, it, it is unlocked um, a belief system, a mindset, an approach to life that I just feel so grateful on a daily basis that I get to live this way, that I look at things the way I do because of the experiences I went through. So sometimes when I share this story, you know, with, with a group of uh, at-risk youth kids or teenagers, they, they always go, well, if you could change things, would you? And there's no friggin' way, like zero, like no way. I would go right back to 13, 11 years old. I would go through all of that again to be able to live the, live, the life I live today because I truly feel like I've, I was shown a different way at such a young age. Some people, they might, it might take them their whole life. It might take them a, some tragic moment at 30, 40 years old to finally say enough's enough. And, you know, I luckily got taught that lesson at 17 through that circumstance. So I don't know, man. I, I don't know if it's a cultural thing that needs to change, if it's a, a personal ownership where we need to start being a little bit more responsibilities for our, our lives, or if it's um, something that we need to teach parents. But it's, it's definitely part of the culture. So you mentioned, you know, that it unlocked a belief system and I've asked this question in some form or another to a lot of different people. Uh, you had a moment of crisis that forced that belief system to be unlocked. Do you think that we can unlock the belief system without experiencing the crisis and is unlocking that belief system inherently built into certain people like you? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I actually talk about this with entrepreneurs all the time because anytime I meet a, a truly remarkable entrepreneur, I always ask them what chaotic event happened to them between the ages of 11 or 13, you know, 9 to 13, usually the, the age range. And they can, they, as soon as I ask that question, they can always, you know, pinpoint like, you know, my mom died or, um, you know, I, I got taken out of my home or some tragic event happened to them. And really, the reason why they become such great entrepreneurs is because. Uh, learning how to deal with chaos and learning how to be independent at such a young age truly allows you to be a great entrepreneur. It's actually probably the only place in life where you can excel because you're probably unemployable. You're super opinionated. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the the the, the uh, normal nine to five just doesn't gel with you, and you just want to you know fix things or improve things or have an opinion. So. To me, dealing and learning um, with chaos and, and allowing uncertainty to be the norm is what makes great entrepreneurs, in my mind, truly remarkable. Um, how do you get there? So I, I think there's two because I, you know, obviously having kids, I want to teach them to be entrepreneurs. And when I say that, well, they have to be, have, they have to go to, through a chaotic environment. You know, I always wrestled with that until a couple of years ago. And I realized there's two things that can happen. Either you have a traumatic event that happens to you that makes you reassess your approach to life, right? And that could be a bout with cancer, a car accident, a death in the family, a divorce. You know, anytime you see somebody go through a transformation, usually if you ask them what happened, <laughs> they'll tell you exactly what happened. Uh-huh. Um, in lieu of that, I think it's really just, um, uh, a culture, like kind of like, um, the norm, right? So like we do things with our kids, like, you know, we, if they bring us a broken toy, I don't fix it for them. I ask them if they want to fix it and then we work on it together and I teach them to fix their own problems. So I think that is a different approach that I learned through my journey that luckily my kids are now going to learn. And hopefully I've unbroken that, pattern that probably went on, you know, my mom was adopted. So she probably went through some really challenging environments. She's never talked to me about it. You know, my dad's father and mother, you know, whatever it is, right? Like there's these patterns that will repeat themselves if the person doesn't take ownership of that. And in lieu of a dramatic event, I'm hoping that you can build that default belief system into your kids. So I will teach my kids that they are responsible for their outcomes. They're responsible for creating the world they want to live in and that if they want to work, they will receive. The biggest challenge, I find it so funny. I mean, Srini, all my friends are, are very successful entrepreneurs. Financially, you know, most of them don't have to work and, you know, I've been fortunate enough to uh, kind of been in the same position. And yet, uh, the biggest challenge for us is to not build in, uh, entitled kids, right? Isn't that funny? Like the the worst thing for us would to have kids that, that, that act entitled. And because we came from nothing and we built it um, ourselves, uh, we typically, without being conscious of this, most entrepreneurs that end up in this position, they give the world to their kids because they want them to have a life that they didn't have. And then in turn, those kids don't have the same value of time, money, um, creativity, et cetera. And then they get frustrated and it's this huge cycle that repeats itself and usually skips a generation, comes back. Uh, so it's actually something that I'm quite cogni- cognizant of, mm-hmm. and um, I'm always trying to think about ways to teach them that. So I'm, it's the the experiment is early. Um, again, three and two years old, but something tells me in my gut that you can create a growth mindset, um, default belief system um, through being deliberate about how you interact with your kids, not requiring a traumatic event. 
So I have one other question around this idea of traumatic events. Why do you think that certain people uh, in a moment like the one you were in when you were 17 change for the better and other people keep going down that same path and just spiral until it, you know, ends like, you know, in, in disaster? Oh, Srini. You just, um, unfortunately, when you ask that question, my mind floods with all the people that didn't make it. And it's a bit emotional because a lot of my best friends growing up are not here anymore because of that, right? Mm-hmm. I wasn't the only one that went through that. I wasn't, you know, one of my best friends, Bandy, um, you know, she was, she took some pills she shouldn't have took and fell off a cliff and, she, you know, 15 years old, no longer with us. And I don't know. I just, I, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I don't know what, you know, causes somebody. Cause you know, I have friends that, that have, you know, had bouts with cancer and they change their lives. And then I have others that go through cancer and they're still miserable and they don't improve anything. Or, you know, they went through what I went through and, um, they, they're, they're in jail now, right? They're, they're lifers. They're not getting out. You know, they, they went through the same issues. I don't know. I honestly, you know, maybe it was a seed that was planted before that. And I just believe that, um, you know, the, the, I know, I know all I can say is the conversation I had with myself was if there's a higher power and you're looking out for me, I promise if you help me get through this, I will not waste my life. Hmm. Are you religious? Nope. Nope. I was, I was scrapping at straws, man. I was, I, this is at the time it was the second time that I, I got in trouble. I mean, I was on the run. The reason I got in a high speed chase and I didn't want to go back is because I said, I just, it was just such a bad experience the first time. And I just said, I'd rather not be here on earth if, if that was the case. And you know, it was, it was, it was just that promise. And I think that's what just drove me to just do everything possible to just not let it continue. And, and, you know, and I think that's what drives me today. I mean, why do I care so much about creating businesses and value and helping other entrepreneurs and speaking around the world and doing these YouTube videos? It's because I made that commitment. I said, if you can help me get through this, I will not waste a day. And it wasn't a year, it wasn't a month, it was a day. Every day I get up and I try to create and have an output and be deliberate and thoughtful and present. And, and, um, that's, that's something luckily I learned at such, for me, pretty young age, 17, um, that drives me to this day. It's, uh, you know, I still just hopefully I honor whoever was looking out to, to, that allowed me to get through that. Because like I said, 90% of my friends are either locked up in institutions or dead. When you look at your own life and you look at it in contrast to the people, uh, you know, that you've spoke of the ones who are dead or locked up or, or, you know, have just ended up in a completely different situation. Uh, how do you feel about that? Like, is there a tension that has to be resolved there or anything that you just kind of look at and are like, I can't believe the the two things turned out so drastically differently. You know, I, I mean, so every probably three or four times a year I go, I go back and I, I visit Portage and I speak to the teenagers that are there, you know, the 12, 13, 14 year old kids and share my story. So I'm very in touch with that world, even though my personal life doesn't look like that. And then, you know, every once in a while, especially cause I live back in the city I grew up in, you know, I'll be at the farmer's market and, and, or the other day, for instance, I was, uh, getting a wrap at a local PETA shop and the guy serving me, uh, I, I, last time I saw him was when I was 15 in jail, his name, uh, was Eve. And he, he just looks at me and goes, you know, and it was just like, it, it was one of those things where I'm like, 
A, I was happy that he wasn't in jail. B, I was happy that he looked somewhat healthy and he had a job. And, you know, I get, I guess the way I, I resolve that, that awkwardness for me is, is everybody's on their own journey. Right. And, and something I guess I've learned over the years just supporting other entrepreneurs is, you know, everybody's going to go on that journey at their own pace and they're going to have to to go through that growth and, and learning at their own pace. And the best thing I can do is just hopefully be an example or a beacon of what's possible, right? Like when I go talk to the kids, the thing I show them, the biggest fear they have, which sounds crazy, Srini, is that they're worried if they get out and they're sober and clean, that their life is going to be boring as shit. Because if you think about it, like they've only known pretty crazy, intense, chaotic moments in their life. And they're thinking, wow, if I was sober, I'm not going out partying on Friday night. I don't, I don't go traveling as much. I pretty much need to work my job, stay clean, hang out with people that are super boring and watch TV. And then I go in and I talk to them. And I say, well, no, actually, there's this other part of the world um, that's really exciting. And it's, it's, it's skydiving and, and heli skiing and you know, off-roading Mexico Baja style or traveling the world uh, to, to meet some of the world's best entrepreneurs like Richard Branson or Mark Cuban. Like, it, I guess I just show them that there's just a different possibility. And I feel like that's that's the way I look at it is when I meet these people that are still on that journey and they haven't figured it out, I honor them because if they're any, any degree better than when I last saw them, that's, that's positive to me. Um, and I don't give up. And that's, I guess that's another thing. You know, my dad didn't give up on me and he had every right in the world. You, I, I cannot express how um, not good kid I was to my parents. You know, obviously, and after, I remember the first time I went to, to jail, my dad visited me and he said, if you end up back here, I'm not coming to visit. And I said, that's fair. And I did. And he didn't. And, and some people might be like, I can't believe a parent would do that to their kid. I needed that. I needed him to be consistent. I needed him to show that he cared by not, you know, enabling me to make bad decisions. And, but what he didn't do, he never gave up. He didn't enable but he was there when I was ready to start making better decisions. And when I did get out of rehab, he got an apartment in another part of town so I could change schools and he supported me. And that showed me the right way to support people. And I feel like when I meet these folks, like you asked, I, I don't forget that um, it, it might take 20 years, it may take 30 years, but there's an opportunity someday in the future maybe that they get clean, that they get sober, that they get a better positive lifestyle and I'm cool with that. And it, the best thing I can do is just be an example of that for them if they choose to, to kind of look at what I've done and model that behavior. I mean, one of the things I tell all the kids when I go talk to them is if you get out and you stay sober for a year, call me up and I'll help you create the most amazing company or get the most amazing job you've ever thought of. That's my commitment to them, right? I will do that. I will drop everything. If they called me and said, Dan, it's been a year. I saw you speak a year and a half ago and I've been sober. I will say, where are you? We're going to sit down and we're going to build a plan. If it's to build a company, I'll help you with that. If it's to get a dream job, we'll, I'll get you the dream job. And unfortunately, not many end up there or take me up on that offer. So, But I can only do me. can't do everything else for everybody else. So, What did you learn about human behavior and psychology uh, from being around those types of people mm-hmm. that you have brought into the way that you've run companies and deal with people in the world of entrepreneurship? So much. I mean, I guess one of the big thing is just uh, seeing how people react and just the uh, the the fear. They they act out of fear. They act out of fear of loss, fear of failure, fear of 
of missing out all this FOMO going around. I mean, the beauty of what I went through at such a young age is uh, I learned so much about human response and default belief systems and mindsets that um, when I when I meet other, you know, if I'm doing a deal with a partner, you know, if I'm partnering with a large company, I'm I'm working with a an employee at that company, you know, I I can just tell by the way they talk, the words they use their belief system. So I guess it's just the, the intuition and the empathy I have around that person and where they're at. And I can understand really quickly what motivates them and what matters to them. And I guess incorporate that into the conversation so that uh, we can get the optimal outcome, right? So to me, I, I kind of learned, I learned computers at a young age, but I also learned how to communicate as well. And over the years, I've learned that, you know, sales is really just enthusiasm transferred. Right. And, um, that sometimes, you know, one of the, a lot, I learned so many things like, you know, act as if, you know, that's a big one. So like, even if you don't feel successful, act as if, and eventually it'll materialize. I learned you could only keep what you give away. So if you want love in your life, you got to give it away first. If you expect it without giving it, it, that's not how the way the world works. Right. So a lot of people have a scarcity mindset around money. I have an abundance mindset around money. Right where I believe there's enough for everybody to go around, and, and that it, that the economy is a trillion dollar economy transacting every day. And if I want to have wealth, that it's my responsibility to dip into that transaction and and try to create value within it. You know, and some people talk about the economy, and I think it's their energy and their mindset and and their belief systems or their internal scripts or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really what drives us. You know, I guess at a very young age, I learned that habits, mindsets, and beliefs are everything. So be very conscious to what you think about how those how that those thoughts play out into the words you use and then the words into actions because that will set up uh, everything in life. And I also I guess I'm I'm fortunate that when people talk about business risks, I kind of laugh because the risk I used to take as a teenager versus the risk I take in every kind of business <laughs> life, they're like two different worlds, right? Like yeah. You know, this is life and death kind of risk versus you know a, a one or two less zeros at the end of my net worth kind of risk. Uh-huh. Totally different outcomes, and I just feel blessed that I'm willing to to take risks. And my, I mean, my family says all the time, they're like, "How do you how do you do it? Why would you do it again?" Like I've built five companies. They're like, "Why do it again?" Mm-hmm. And I go, "Just because that to me is where the excitement comes from. It's it's around that belief in yourself and and." You know, ask, you know, like to me, I think about opportunity cost. It's like, okay, if I do nothing, this is the outcome. Or if I risk a little bit and some time and, and money, then the opportunity is maybe 60% chance, but it's a bigger outcome and a bigger impact and obviously income. So I'm going to take that risk because at the end of the day, I came from nothing. And if you took it all away from me tomorrow and I, and I didn't lose it for being unethical, if I had my relationships, I had the, um, the resources and knowledge I know today, I could build it back in like three years. That's the cool part is once you know how to do something, you can redo it in a third or fourth of the time. So I just feel like those are some of the beliefs that um, I feel blessed to have that I internalize, that I kind of uh, exhibit on a daily basis. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. 
Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, so there's a ton of stuff here, and I, I want to actually dig deeper into all of it. Um, you, know, you mentioned starting five companies. And uh, I, I know from reading your about page, which is about the only research I ever do on anybody, that you've also had some failures as mm. a byproduct. So I want to first talk specifically about the failures, what you learned from them, and how you bounced back from them. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess th- there's, there's a difference between companies and projects. So mm. I always ask people, how many domains do they own? Those are like <laughs> projects, right? Yeah. So uh, those, those I probably have like 30. But companies like fully-fledged corporations, I've started five. And the first one was Maritime Vacation. It was a really simple idea, very much like VRBO or Airbnb, um, which was the ability for, for people to list their cottages. My dad owned a cottage. My uncle owned a cottage, and they would rent it throughout the summer. So I was learning to code. I thought I needed kind of a, a project, and it, it was kind of like my hello world. But I ended up like – getting it going, listing like 30-some cottages, getting people to send me money in the mail with a filled-out property detail sheet that they didn't eat. This is like 98, right? So like Uh they were – I was like, hey, if you want a web page for your bed and breakfast, fill this form out, send me three photos and a check for 30 bucks or cash, and I'll follow up with a link that you could tell people on a phone call or put on your website. And that was – 
that was the first time I made a dollar on the internet. And I, to me, that if you've done that, you've gone pro. Like it is a special <laughs> moment to have somebody that's not your uncle or your dad give yeah. you a dollar. And, uh, and it just showed me that there was value in my ideas and creation. But, you know, the mistake there was I picked a really small market. I mean, I called it maritimevacation.ca, which is the Maritimes is the eastern part of Canada. Total cottages is about 250 at the time. So the market size was puny. The guy that owned at the cottage.com and every other cottage directory totally kicked my butt. As soon as the customers were aware that there was a better offer out there, they, they switched. So, you know, I learned a lot about, um, you know, just positioning and marketing and the .ca versus the .com um, and really just thinking bigger. Like uh-huh. don't think like – because the worst thing is thinking small and actually being successful because all your systems and your processes and your customers are all built to be small. And uh, I think that's, that was the biggest lesson I learned there. Hmm. Um, actually, I'm glad you brought up this idea of, of not thinking small and, and really thinking big because you know, I, I just had a conversation with uh, my friend Greg Hartle. And one of the things that we had talked about was something that Chris Saka had mentioned on Tim Ferriss's podcast, as well as something he talked quite a bit about in his commencement speech that he did at uh, Carleton in, in Minnesota. And it was this idea of the inevitability of success, right? He said that, you know, anytime they have a founder they know is going to succeed, there's a, something about them where they have this inevitability of success. Like they don't, you know, they don't talk in conditional statements. And I'm curious what it is that enables that kind of vision um, in somebody so that they're able to take something from where it is something very small to something as big as, as many of the things that you've done. And the other question is, do you think everybody has that capability? I think, I think it's uh, the capability is in everybody to have. I think the, the, it's a byproduct of probably a few things. One, it's, um, a level of confidence and usually confidence is a byproduct of achievement. You know, so that's why when I recruit people, you know, A players to me are people that have shown excellence or mastery in some aspect of their life. And that could be arts or, or sports or, um, you know, some other hobbies, you know, d- driving, I mean, racing or whatever it is. I mean, I think that, you know, people that, that get to a level of mastery or achievement, regardless of what they set their mind on, because they have uh, historical context for being able to prove themselves right, they they just need to set their aim on that next thing. And that's where that inevitability comes from. Um, the other thing that really helps, and it's what I learned when I moved to uh, San Francisco in 2008 to, to build my first software company. I, prior to that, I, I, um, you know, I built a service company called Spheric Technologies, but I wanted to go see if, if any of my crazy ideas would, would hold water among some of the world's greatest technology entrepreneurs. And the biggest lesson I learned was meeting, you know, Joe and Brian from Airbnb in 2008 when it was really airbedandbreakfast.com and there was an airbed involved and you had to cook them breakfast. Like uh, Drew from Dropbox, Drew, Drew Houston, um, the founder of Dropbox, again, 2008, or Travis Kalanick from Uber. You know, he was one of my investors in Flowtown and I was there like early days when Uber was essentially just an idea with, with Travis and Garrett around just having a black car service for themselves. And when you meet people like that and then see what they're able to accomplish in a three or four or five year period, you can't help but feel confident that, you know what, there was nothing really special about the people. Yes, they work hard. Yes, they were very intelligent, uh, et cetera. But it was really just their ability to execute and focus. I think that that brings it out. So your environment to me is the number one thing, right? If you're the smartest person on your street, find a new street. Cause that to me is 
the biggest challenge for a lot of entrepreneurs or, or wannabe entrepreneurs is the people and the, the physical location where they spend most of their time, they're not conducive to having that mindset. So if you met somebody that has that, that attitude of uh, inevitability, I would ask to meet their friends and I'm pretty sure I would find it amongst their friends as well. Do you think that it can be learned or developed? Absolutely. I think, I think it's just like anything like um, uh, sports or um, it's, it requires you to be the type of person that wants to learn and be a, a mastery, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what's great about, you know, if you're, if, you're, if you're a really talented video game player or a really talented, um, you know, bird watcher, whatever it is, if you're like, you're, you're at the top 1% of your game, then you've already taught yourself how to be um, great, right? You've taught yourself how to be a pro, how to be a master at something. And that is transferable, right? Mm-hmm. So really, if somebody asks me, what's my skill in life? It's the ability to what I call just in time versus just in case learning, right? The, the ability to go deep on a subject, but not uh, learn things that aren't relevant to what I need to accomplish over the next few months and, and trust in the process that when I get to those, those new roadblocks or challenges or, or hurdles that I've got the, the skills and process to kind of overcome them. That's why I guess I feel confident that no matter what company I start, it's the process of how I build businesses mm-hmm. that I believe in. It's not my previous experience in a certain industry or product. I mean, Clarity was the first marketplace company I've ever built. And if you talk to anybody that's built a marketplace, you know, a two-sided market, it's like having twins. It is twice as hard as building a SaaS product or an, a mobile game or an app on an iPhone. And um, But what I did have is confidence in my ability to solve problems and, and learn skills and, and recruit people to help me solve them. So I think those are for sure. I, I teach entrepreneurs every day how to do that. And I mm-hmm. teach people that are not entrepreneurs how to think like an entrepreneur. So yeah, for sure, it's a, it's a learnable skill. So the reason I asked that question uh, is because it, there was a really interesting part of the conversation I had with Greg Hartle where he actually said that we as a society don't nearly acknowledge uh, talent and intelligence enough uh, in the ro- role of these kinds of accomplishments. And he said, you know, there are certain people that are going to become who they're going to become they're, because they're born that way. People like Elon Musk, people like Tiger Woods, people like Zuckerberg. And I, you know, and in one way, that's kind of deterministic to hear a message like that. And in another, I kind of can't help but wonder how much of a grain of truth there is to that. And I just want to hear your perspective on that. I, I don't believe there is because, I, I, and I'll tell you, if we went, we went out into the city right now and grabbed, you know, 100 entrepreneurs at, at the local car dealerships or the manufacturing plants or whatever it is in your area, and, and you had somebody that was intelligent interview or talk to these entrepreneurs, they would be surprised how unintelligent and kind of goofy and and just zany and weird they would come across right Uh now does that mean they're not talented skillful or intelligent i don't know but from my experience some of the best entrepreneurs don't know any better than what they do and it's the reason why they're successful is because they don't overthink it right i think you know i think intelligence can sometimes work against you and in the case of an elon musk can be a superpower right so I think, um, you know, and, and there's probably an element, you know, when you see, um, I don't want to call people out for being bipolar or, or uh, you know, less, less mildly autistic, 
Um, but there are those elements in some of the world's best entrepreneurs in software specifically. Like when I look at the landscape of entrepreneurs, there's a level of Asperger's that goes across that I, I feel, I don't know if they've been diagnosed, but, and maybe it's just because they have a disconnect from outcome and action Mm -hmm. that allows them to take those big swings because they're not, they're not going to associate their, um, outcome to who they are because it's just not part of their default personality. Well, I think that actually makes uh, a perfect setup to something that I want to spend quite a bit of time talking about. Uh, I mean, you've had a front row seat to a lot of founders. You've been an investor. You've built five companies. I want to talk about managing your psychology and founder depression Mm. Um, and what enables that. I mean, how do you get through the bad parts? Because, you know, I don't know if I entirely was transparent with you when when I had dinner with you in January. I was dealing with a really, really bad period of depression. Um, because we had just pulled a plug on an event. I mean, we were looking at a runway that was about it. We were like an airplane that was going to crash into the ocean at SFO. Like the runway was really short and I was terrified. Uh, so I, I think I, that's why I'm very curious about this because, uh, it's something that has been deeply interesting to me. And I've asked a lot of people about this and I want to hear what you have to say about it based on, you know, the founders you've invested in and, you know, going through the companies that you've built. Yeah. I mean, just so everybody knows like that, that, uh, a roller coaster of entrepreneurship is part of the ride, and uh, every entrepreneur, from Elon Musk to to you to I to everybody, is going to go through that. And really, the only the question is: is are you going to make it out the other side? Yeah, it's yeah. it's not if it's going to happen. Trust me, <laughs> if you push on the world, the world will push back. And how you deal with that pressure is going to decide if you're one of the greats or one of the people that crumble, which is 95% of the people. I mean, truthfully, most businesses won't succeed. That's not, that's the norm. So if you're able to, to make it happen, it it sets you apart. Um, for me, there's a lot of things I do. I mean, I remember the, the time, uh, we were building my company Flowtown. We were venture backed. We had just raised about 750,000 from some of the world's best investors, guys that I admired my whole career, like Mitch Kapoor, who invented Lotus Notes, Travis Kalanick, Dave McClure, like some of the, these great investors. And here we are one day, we, we get an email that pretty much says that the way our product leveraged Facebook data made it no longer work. So imagine you've been building a company. We were at, I think, 50,000 customers at the time. We were about to raise our Series A funding. And then the next day, we find out that the product goes to zero, all our revenue goes to zero. And we got to make a pretty big decision as to what do we want? Do we give the money back to our investors, et cetera? And to say that that didn't uh, feel like I got kicked in the stomach and then kicked again when I went down would be a total understatement. And I I still, I mean, it was such a vivid memory. And my co-founder, Ethan, it was his first company. So, you know, he probably took it a lot harder than me because I had those near-death experiences. Well, A, the first two companies ended up in death. And then the third company, I probably had two or three near-death experiences um, before I ended up, you know, selling it. And I, I guess I had a better muscle to deal with it, but mm-hmm. you know the ways the way I look at it is um, always remember it's the darkest before the calm. So it's it's tough because it's a bunch of you know it's it's kind of like that woo woo mindset. Right. It's like shut up, man! Like this sucks. It's like yeah, I know, <laughs> but you know the truth is is it is it is so true that it, no matter how bad it gets, it is always darkest right before it gets better. And, and you, you're probably testament to that, that on the other side of that moment, I don't even know what happened afterwards, Srini, but I got to assume that it has been just amazing and things just got unlocked. And you're like, I can't believe this is now my life. 
but you had to go through that pain and, and those challenges um, that, that makes you a better entrepreneur. And that's, that's what happened with Flowtown. We ended up building three prototypes, brought them to market extremely fast, rescaled the business, doubled down on the one that was working the best. And 11 months later, we get acquired for millions. And, you know, I can't really disclose because of the, 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 the numbers, but it was, it was really just surreal, right? And what did we do? Well, we, we asked ourselves, all right, we gave, here's one thing we did. We gave ourselves a day to feel bad for ourselves. I actually think this is a very healthy thing. If you're at this, the low end of the roller coaster right now, don't go to work. Stay home and binge watch House of Cards or whatever show you prefer on Netflix or iTunes. Like, just stay home um, and allow yourself, but set the time. So, you know, tomorrow at 6 p.m., I'm going to open up my emails and I'm going to fix this. But till then, I'm going to be depressed. I'm going to be sad. And it's in, and I, you know, nobody told me this was a good idea. I started doing it a long time ago and it feels good. It feels good to say, you know what? I'm going to time box this. I'm going to give myself a day or two days. And if maybe you need three, but on this day at this time, I'm going to put my big boots on and uh, big point, big boy pants, and we're going to solve this. Right. Um, so that's what we did then. And then the other thing is I keep a running list of all my achievements, right. From, you know, companies that have got acquired investments I've made that have turned into 10x returns, like Hootsuite and Intercom and Udemy, and um, uh, running my first marathon, having my two kids like those were both huge accomplishments in my life. Getting sober at 17, staying sober now for so many years, um, meeting my wife. Like I just have this Evernote file with all my achievements, and I review that when I'm having a bad day. Mm-hmm. I review that before I have an important meeting because I want to kind of reconnect myself with with my true value you in this world and remind myself of the value I've created for myself and my team and my and others. I mean, the amount of people that I've made millionaires through my companies, that's, that's an awesome feeling, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'm, 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 maybe I've got imposter syndrome going on that day, but reviewing that list of achievements, I think is a really great exercise to do. The other one is, uh, that I love to do is, um, is helping somebody else out. And it might sound counterintuitive if you're feeling like crap, but you, you've probably experienced this, that you can't help. If you reach out to a friend that's starting off and you say, hey, man, is there anything you can do to help? Do you want to like have coffee or lunch and review your game plan, especially if you've built companies now for a few years? Mm-hmm. Like At the end of that conversation, you feel so good for helping them out. And it's really that you, know, you can only keep what you give away. If I want to feel good about myself and supported, especially when I'm going through a tough time, I should try to give that to other people. Even if it feels so fake because you're like, man, if this person only knew that I'm about to go bankrupt, that's not the point. The point is you need to give it away and support other people. And through that act, I believe it will come back to you. So that's a big thing I usually suggest to people. And then finally, it's uh, spend as much time as you can with people that are on the other side of that pendulum, right? So I, I call it the entrepreneurial pendulum, which is, exclamation mark which is take over the world domination to question to question mark which is i can't believe i quit my job what am i doing with my life what if my customers hate this um and you swing back and forth between this entrepreneurial pendulum all the time maybe sometimes you know a week every once a week or maybe even two or three times a day right you wake up on one side and end up by noon on the other and i think it's important to be around other people that are on the exclamation take over the world when you're feeling that way and 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 Shreen, i don't know if that if you had that oh yeah experience. when we came for for dinner when we had that dinner i did not know you were going through that but you could tell by the energy in that room, like sitting down with Chris and the other ones that were there, like that was a really great conversation, mm-hmm. right? 
So I would suggest those kind of four tips to, to people that are, that are going through something challenging. It's, it's, it's what I do. I mean, I pretty much reset and go back there. The other thing I do is I remind myself my, my purpose and my why. Mm-hmm. why. Why did I start doing this in the first place? And that's something I create from the first day of starting any new company because I need to remind myself ongoing when I get kicked down or when I have a tough day. The, the, the reason I started this whole thing in the first place is it's easy to get stuck in the trees from the forest. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. You mentioned the Evernote file. I have a similar one. I call it the meaning markers file. It was something I read about in uh, Sean Acor's book, The Happiness Advantage. Uh, it was one of his two books where he said, you know, often we have to, you know, look at moments where we've created meaning in our lives. So anytime somebody like today, for example, somebody sent me a tweet saying, I'm telling everybody about your show. It's helped me get out of a really bad funk. Uh, and I thought, okay, you know what? Like I take screenshots of all of those. And on the days you're talking about when I'm like, why the hell am I doing this? I make sure I go through and look at it. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. There is a real reason. Um, and you know, you asked about the turnaround. I mean, obviously you saw a little sneak, you saw some of the work that has, you know, been the byproduct of that period. Uh, this whole pancake animated series. And I got a book deal with the publisher. So it, it World got class. See, see, see again, darkest before the storm. And it's, it, it, it the dawn, it's so tough to believe that, yeah. but if you've gone through it three or four times like we have, um, it's, it's just, you just learn that to be the norm. Well, you know, what's interesting. Um, so, you know, I've been very obsessively paying closer attention to sort of the world of startups. And I, I realized why Combinator's, um, startup school was all available on iTunes and downloaded it. And I'm listening to the second lecture in it and I'll link this up in the show notes for everybody listening. It's really, really good, regardless of whether you're a startup person or not, there's lots of really valuable lessons. And I, you know, Sam Altman talks about the highs and lows. And he said, you know, as you get more successful, the highs get higher, but the lows get even lower. Mm. That, I mean, that's the truth. Like you said, if you push against the world, it's going to push back. And the harder you push, the bigger the pushback. And that's where the lows come from. I mean, just imagine, like Elon Musk, like, I love that story because um, I heard it firsthand from uh, the, the guy that essentially lent him the money to pay for his rent when he was, when he was going through it. And um, he, he said, like, you know, he, he put his last money into um, Tesla. Uh, the, the solar city was going through challenges and um, – and it was like, you know, chewing on glass and staring to the abyss. Like not a lot of people could deal with that pressure. Like it would have took people out and yeah. he, he was able to overcome it. And now he runs three or, you know, he owns $3 billion companies. One of the few entrepreneurs in the world have ever created two or $3 billion uh, entities and deserves all the success for, for going through those lows. Hmm. So the other thing I want to ask you about, um, is this you know period of investing? I mean, you've gotten to to be part of all these other companies, and uh, you know one of the things I think that a lot of people are curious about, and I personally am curious about, is are there common threads that you found between all of the founders that you've seen really do well on you know a repeatable basis, and you know where have you seen founders fall apart? Well. Um Usually founders, I mean, here's the thing about investing is, is the, 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 the expectation, like you want to be positive about it is that it's going to be a world-class successful, you know, huge company. But the reality of it is that the numbers show that, that 90% of the investments are going to go to zero. Mm-hmm. I guess, I guess what I've come to learn about building and creating is, you know, much like a podcast interview or an artist's painting or a songwriter's song you don't know if that business is going to be your major hit. And I think realizing that you have no control other than do your best work and something will eventually work out. So the, the earlier when you said that, you know, you meet these people that the, 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 the belief in the end of it, they're inevitably going to be successful. 
um, true, but you don't know if it's going to be in that business. Right. So that to me is when you say they fall apart, um, you know, I, th- I don't know if it's because of the founder or if it was just the market or the product or other people on the team or the other investors or, you know, the economy or whatever. But I, I always bet in the person. So I've never had a moment where I bet on a person as an angel investor and then regretted the person investment because they were great. They did the best they could with the information they had and the resources at the time. And that business just wasn't meant to be. I've now reinvested, I think, in four other companies of entrepreneurs that failed, mm-hmm. right? So that just shows you that my, my belief is I see something, like you said earlier, I see that belief system and maybe this isn't the business that works for them, but I will back them as an individual in the future because they have it. So um, I guess I've never seen, well, I've seen founders fall apart, I guess, but um, yeah, I'm not sure if you want me to elaborate on that or. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I'm curious what you'd have to say about it. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean there's so many examples. I think we're going to see actually quite a few more uh, now where they fall apart um, in, in the press. Just there's something in the market probably in the next six months where the economy is going to kind of, you know, 2008 all over again. It usually happens every seven years, 2001, 2008, 2015, yeah. early 2016. So um, they're going to fall apart because they didn't focus on the right things. They didn't focus on their their burn, you know, how much money they spend every month. They didn't focus on building a team that was uh, committed to the outcome so that maybe transactional hires. So when things go south, those people are going to bail and they're going to be stuck with a very small team and maybe not the ability to execute on the vision. Um, they uh, don't spend enough time really truly working backwards from the customer's pain point. I think that's the biggest challenge in, in technology and software companies in general is they have this software and they want to build this technology in a certain way. And the customers are pretty much voting with their wallets that, nah, this isn't really the way I want you to solve this problem. And they're just so product Steve Job-esque in their approach to development that they they just are they have blinders on. That's a huge one. I would say that's that's probably half the time that's what happens is they don't really work backwards from the customer. Um, they don't figure out their marketing engine. So I, I talk about this thing about building a growth engine for your startup, for your company. And um, you know, it was funny because I was talking to an entrepreneur the other day that owns uh, a gym and I was like, hey, do you do any marketing? He goes, no, it's all word of mouth and, and we're pretty much at capacity and I'm happy with that. And I go, well, that's cool, but what if the economy takes a turn or somebody opens up a gym across the street and all of a sudden you lose half your members? You don't have a lever to pull a marketing engine or a growth engine to fill that capacity. And he's like, oh, geez, you're right. I go, so it's not about today. It's about the scenario. So again, what I said earlier about usually the market will take a turn and the reason they fail wasn't because they weren't capable. It's because they didn't plan for that. And I think that's, that is something that really truly comes with experience with the bloody foreheads, with the scars of, of starting and failing a few times is you learn those mistakes firsthand. Over, over the years, though, what, what luckily happens is you start to learn from your mentors. So you don't have to go through the experience. I had to go through the first couple of failures personally to truly internalize those stupid mistakes. The second one was really about choosing a commodity company. I built a web hosting company, probably the worst business in the world if you want to have any life whatsoever and make the least amount of money as possible because, I mean, everybody can buy hosting from, from thousands of people for free, if not dollars a month. So worst business idea I've ever had. Um, but, you know, I really learned about commodities and differentiated and value pricing versus cost pricing. So again, um, 
I think that sometimes it's only through experience that you're going to learn those lessons and, you know, it's, you're not always supposed to win. So one other question for you, and, and this is another thing that I've asked a lot of people, uh, you've amassed a significant amount of wealth and I'm curious if your internal money, uh, internal narrative around money changed before you amassed wealth, uh, or you amassed wealth because your internal money narrative around money changed. I, I think it's, it's, uh, I amassed wealth because my narrative around money is different than most people. And I know that for a fact, because I talk to people, you know, I mean, when I get trolls on Periscope, when I'm doing like Periscope videos, um, <laughs> it's once in a while, not always, I'll just say like, show me your bank account. Uh-huh. Like that just shuts them up. Cause it's like, whatever they're saying, it's like, look at the end of the day, it's not about the amount of money. It's about value creation. To me, if you want to be you know, wealthy, go help a million people. Like that's, that's, you know, to me, the, 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 the financial reward that I've received was because I created value in the world. It wasn't about things, right? I don't, I'm actually not a things kind of guy. I I own nice stuff, et cetera, but I don't really put a lot of value on that. And anybody that does, I actually don't care about or I'm friends with. Um, and I guess the way I look at money that's completely different is, is I trade money for time, right? So, so in that context that, um, investing in hiring great people is an exchange of money for time, you know, investing in, in, um, uh, having people. So there's two things I do every day. Only two things. One, I work on, on projects that require my unique input and creation. Um, and the other is spend time with my family or friends. And that's it. Those are like the only two things. So what do I not do? I've never, I haven't been to a grocery store in years. I don't, um, I don't clean my house. I don't mow my own lawn. I don't even, if my wife needs a painting hung on the wall, there's a guy that's called Steve. She can call. Like I really only want to focus on those two things. And I think it's because of that, I have a respect for money because the, the, that capital allows me to have the freedom to spend it with my, my time or work on projects that, that, fulfill me and truly make me feel enlightened and, and valuable to the world. And I feel like I'm honoring that promise and commitment that I made when I was 17. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference where I feel like in today's world, uh, university students graduate and they, they front load their lives. That's what I call it. They front load, you know, they want the new lease on the car. They want to get that condo. And then they, they go and buy a bunch of furniture because they can get the credit and et cetera. And they live the life that they should be living when they're later on down the road. And because they make those financial decisions in that order, then two years or three years into their job that they hate and they hate their nine to five, financially speaking, they would be ruined if they even thought of quitting to go start this new company. Um, cause they would have no, they have no savings. They, they have debt obligations that they need to pay every month. It's a, there's a significant amount. And I feel like that's a big difference and a big cultural shift that's happened because of capitalism, because of the way the bank systems work and the credit companies. And I think that's, um, something that needs to be taught. I'm not teaching it, nor do I really talk a lot about it amongst my friends. I kind of share my, my thoughts and best practices around, especially productivity and, and, and how to exchange money for time, because I don't, you know, time is something you don't get back, right? Mm -hmm. Money's a renewable resource. Yeah. So I, I will, I will pay a premium. You know, I, I talk about this concept of what's your effective hourly rate, right? Like understanding whatever you make on a yearly basis divided by the hours you work, that's your EHR, your effective hourly rate. And then when you look at the projects or tasks that you do on a weekly basis, there's an 80-20 distribution curve of things that move the needles and things that don't and things that make me happy and things that don't. And truly what your job should be on a yearly basis is move 60-70% of those tasks that are not 
um, energizing or not requiring your specific unique abilities and spending some of that EHR to have somebody else to do that. And that, and that I think, is the best way to look at life. Um, some people look, read the four hour, uh, four hour work week by Tim Ferriss and they go, that's the kind of life I want to live. Cool. But how do you do that? If you're an employer, how do you do that as a CEO and an entrepreneur? My, my strategy is the one I just explained, you know, understand and audit your, your task, understand what an hour is worth today Mm -hmm. and spend less time on the five and $10 task and more on the 50 to $500 task. And what happens over a year, if you can transition 70% of those low value projects and tasks to somebody else, then you can free up your time to create more value in the world, which will increase your effective hourly rate. That's the game. And that's the way I look at it. It's always an investment. Probably why I've invested in so many other software companies because I wanted to invest in other people to be part of their long-term success. I want to invest my time and put my money where my mouth was to help them. And then if there was an outcome, that we would all kind of be part of that reward. And at the same time, I wanted to build my own company. So I really just started investing as a way to scale my potential impact on the world uh, out uh, above and beyond just my primary company. Wow. Well, Dan, this has been amazing. Cool, uh, man. That was a lot. I didn't, I didn't no, want to. No, it, this has been packed full of yeah. wisdom. So I have one last question for you, which is how we finish every interview uh, at the Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Uh, different. Um, different in the, the stop you from walking awe-inspiring, um, I can't believe they came up with that idea or that approach or that process or the way they act. It's, it's something that is um, both inspiring, awe, um, remarkable, you know, uh, worthy, uh, noteworthy, um, stop, take a photo. I don't know. It's just, it's all these things. But to me, when it happens, it punches you in the gut. And it's just worth taking a second to appreciate. And I believe that everybody in the world has the capacity to do that, to create at that level. Yet most people aren't taught that or shown the path or feel the confidence that they can. That's probably the biggest shame. But it's also the reason why we're here. It's the journey we're supposed to be on. Uh, you know, We're not supposed to, to, to discover our purpose in life. We're supposed to create it. Right. And I think that's a different belief that I have that a lot of people, you know, they keep going around saying, I need to discover my purpose. Nope, nope. It's about creating it. And that changes everything. Awesome. Well, like I said, this has been mind blowingly cool and really fun. I'm glad we got a chance to bring you back to the show. And uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us. Really appreciate it, Srini. Thanks yeah. for having me. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Wednesday on The Unmistakable Creative. I have done all sorts of things in my life. I was in the music business for a fairly long time, and I was, I've had my own business as a book packager. But always I seemed to gravitate to things that were somehow about your inner life, your inner experience, your unique presence on this planet, for lack of a better phrase, and no matter what I did. And so I started practicing meditation more than 20 years ago. And I immediately was like, this is it. This is, yes, thank you. I will have much more of this. And I became, fairly quickly, I took formal vows to become a Buddhist. Tune in for a soulful exploration of inner wisdom with author and meditation coach Susan Piper. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.